It's the show the establishment warned you about. That's it. It's the Dr. Tommy Show. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. DrTommy.com slash podcast for all of your viewing and listening options. Listen live on Rumble. Listen anywhere you want on the uh, replay on the podcast network of your choice. Glad you're back or glad to be back and glad you're here with us. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And then if you're back again, thank you for sharing it and uh, subscribing because it helps us get more listeners and helps us educate more people and entertain more people. That's right. That's what we're here for. Education, entertainment, predominantly. I'm a concierge medicine physician here in Tampa, Florida, broadcasting from the free state of Florida in the heart of Florida from Echelon Health Studios. And uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff to cover, so I want to try to get through all of it. One of the things I wanted to talk about was this uh, concept that we have of American devolution and our uh, regression from a free republic to more of a totalitarian state. And I also want to get an update on uh, some COVID stuff. They got rid of the vaccine, uh, the original vaccine, but I also want to talk about guns and transgenders and all this other stuff. So, and of course I wanted to talk about, um, uh, one of the things that I want to talk about first was about this, um, collusion that we have here with the government via its police apparatus hoover's boys and what they're doing with this manifesto uh, this transgender shooter which was done last what was this the transgender shooter this murderous rampage took place on march 27th and we still don't have any manifesto and as i predicted before and as i've told you before i don't think we're ever going to see a manifesto in any type of legitimate form but this is part of the American devolution is this uh, usurpation of control from Americans who are in charge of the government. We have, we have the, the power. We grant power to the government to do things for us through the Constitution. But we are the sovereign in America, or at least we used to be. But now we've gotten to this point where we're more of a police state where we're allowed to do whatever the government says we're allowed to do. And it seems like the strong arm of the government right now was Hoover's boys and uh, police, police in general. And so one of the things that they've done here is they've failed to produce this manifesto that was left behind by this transgender shooter that killed these children and adults in this Christian school. And we've also discussed the reasons for that because it doesn't match up to their narrative that transgenderism is just wholesome good fun and and there's nothing uh nothing bad about it it's just wholesome good fun so this is an article from awr hawkins and breitbart he says the 28 year old transgender attacker who shot and killed six in the nashville christian school march 27th left behind a suicide note 19 journals and other items all which have been kept from the public uh nbc news observed the potential release of the journals has been a point of friction in the case while local investigators say they are continuing to analyze the writings with assistance from hoover's boys behavioral analysts analyst unit in quantico some in the community said the writings must be made public without delay to help people understand the carnage and hale's state of mind it's interesting that abc nbc news reported this because nbc news is usually one of the chief water carriers for the government and the establishment but here they are they're they're reporting that there's some controversy about Hoover's boys not producing this, uh, these writings or allowing them to be produced. It says, to date, federal law enforcement claims no clear motive has emerged behind the transgender's deadly attack on the Christian school. Now, most of you listening to this know this is complete bullshit. And that the reason for this likely is this person was pissed off that Christians uh, do not believe in transgenderism in general. And if they do, they do not promote it to the liking of transgenders, at least the transgender quote unquote community, who is a militant community, the part of the transgender community that is militant and the part that is uh, exercised by uh, groups like the, the group that put on the uh, day of vengeance after the shooting and have called for uh, genocide, have called uh, what is being done to them as genocide. 
And so if you look at those and connect those dots, you can see clearly that this person was most likely radicalized by members of their own community and potentially members of um, the media and things of that uh, nature and, and, and um, uh, politicians who use transgenderism as a wedge issue and, and made maybe possibly psychotic and enough to uh, shoot these people or maybe not even psychotic, just just give them the urge, enough courage to shoot these poor people. And it says, uh, author and pundit Byron York weighed in on the situation, tweeting, instead of hinting that the motive remains in- unclear, why not just release the evidence? Because if they release the evidence, then it's going to be clear that this person was motivated by hate, was motivated by hate towards Christians. This is from American Greatness. And it says, Biden youth goose-stepping to trans ideology. This is from Lloyd Billingsley. It says, Transgender Day of Visibility celebrates the joy, strength, and absolute courage of some of the bravest people I know. People who have too often put their jobs, relationships, and lives on the line just to be their true selves. Now, this is uh, on uh, March 30th, three days after Audrey Hale shot dead. I don't even want to say her name. Three days after the transgender shooter shot dead, Evelyn Dekaus, Mike Hill, William Kinney, Catherine Kuntz, Cynthia Peake, and Haley Scruggs. And uh, um, uh, uh, three of those were children. It says, um, on April 6th, Biden said three students and three officials were gunned down in yet, uh, quote, yet another tragic mass shooting. But as on March 30th, the Dell, but as on March 30th, the Delaware Democrat failed to name the victims, identify the shooter, or condemn the shooter. Haley's possible motives also escapes notice. It says uh, victim Mike Hill was black, but no speculation that Audrey or no, no speculation that the white transgender shooter would have been motivated by racism. Her targets were all Christians, but not a word about the possibility of a hate crime. Biden also fails to mention that Mike Colazzo and Rich Rex Engelbert the brave uh, police officers who took down Hale before she could murder more children. The following week in Colorado, a man who thinks he is a woman planned a series of similar attacks. William Whitworth, who calls himself Lily, planned attacks on three schools in Colorado Springs and had completed a manifesto with drawings of the classroom, lists of firearms, and names of individuals to be killed. So this is the people who have been radicalized, and this is the people... These are the people who the media seeks to pretend do not exist. And that is people who are pissed off about being um, in their minds marginalized and in their minds probably marginalized by Christians or conservatives. Um, and that's the reason that that's the reason that this person probably killed these people. And that's the reason you'll never know from the government why that happened, because they have to cover that up. They have to keep that under wraps because that doesn't fit their narrative of transgenderism just being good wholesome fun um but it's kind of interesting how this this transgender ideology has moved from being a, a something about individuals to something of more of a, a a movement and this this uh article goes a little bit more into that detail it says here uh if these developments leave observers confused, they might seek clarification from Bruce Bauer, author of A Place at the Table, The Gay Individual in American Society. It says, this is from the book. Years ago, gay magazines and organizations routinely conveyed the message that as a gay man, I was part of something called the gay community, Bauer writes. Then at some point, I wasn't, when I wasn't looking, I was adopted into something called the LGBTQ plus community or family. That happened even though homosexuality and transgenderism are two utterly different phenomena. And now and now what passes for transgenderism isn't just called isn't called gender dysmorphia. dysphoria. We're dealing with a transgender ideology, Bauer explains. According to which a man who thinks he is a woman isn't suffering from a mental disorder, he is actually a woman and has always been. And a woman who thinks he is a man really is a man and has always been. Bauer argues that gay rights was reformist, but the trans movement is, quote, revolutionary in a way that human mankind has never experienced before. Because it's not a revolution against any particular government or political system, it's a revolution against reality itself. This is indeed the case, but there's more to it. So, I'm trying to understand 
how you can get to some place where someone who has a genuine problem, who is seeking help for their problem, and in some in some cases has transgender surgery or transgender hormone treatment, like uh, Bruce Jenner did and became Caitlyn Jenner. That's one thing, and that that's something that this person suffering from a mental disorder. But now, what the trans revolution is. I'm sorry, what the trans ideology is, is, is not that. There's nothing to do with anything abnormal. It is all normal. And that's why Bauer writes that it's really a revolution against reality itself. <clears throat> it says, as Spanish, this is from the article, uh, Lloyd Billingsley article in American Greatness. It says, as Spanish artist Francisco Jose de Goya y Luisientes observed, El sueño de la razón produce monstruos. The sleep of reason produces monsters. Hippolyte Taine, historian of the French historian of the French Revolution, has a different take. This is important. This is the picture your typical young uh, American who has not had a grounding in ideology, uh, political ideology, or political differences, or political views in general. Picture your young, typical American that goes sent, is sent off to school at a, at a major college or university in the United States. And when you think of this quote, and this is from Hippolyte Taine, historian of the French Revolution. It says, quote, nothing is more dangerous than a general idea in narrow and empty minds. As they are empty, it finds no knowledge there to interfere with it. As they narrow, it only... Sorry, as they narrow, it is not long before it occupies the place entirely. Henceforth, they are no, they no longer belong to themselves, but are mastered by it. It works in them and through them, the man in essence, in the true sense of the word, be, being possessed. So he's writing here about if you have this mind that is, is basically empty, and then you put into it this idea, and then... As the idea grows, the mind becomes even more narrow. So the whole idea is constrained. The, 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 the idea occupies the whole mind. So it says again, nothing is more dangerous than a general idea in, gen- in narrow and empty minds. As they are empty, it finds no knowledge there to interfere with it. As they are narrow, it is not long before it occupies the place entirely. Henceforth, they no longer belong to themselves, but are being ma- but are mastered by it. It works in them and through them, the man in the true sense of the word being possessed. It's back to the article. The trans types with their fast with their reason fast asleep are possessed with the idea that they that thinking something makes it so. That fails to square with science, reason, and the Judeo concept of God creating people, male and female. People of this time honored belief are held to be attacking the trans type. So this is the key port part here. So if you believe, because you have beliefs of yourself that you believe, you know, you, you have these beliefs that I think that God or someone, Allah, whoever, maybe the aliens created man and woman, male and female. If you believe that, then you're part of a, uh, you're attacking trans, trans people. It says on April 1st, the trans day of vengeance poster complained that Christians are pronounced guilty of genocide. That sets us up, this sets up a justification for attacking them, regardless of age. As potential victims might note, this transgender shooter planned to attack for months and gunned down nine-year-old Haley Scruggs, a pastor's daughter. And it goes back. It says, Joe Biden wouldn't say her name or condemn her killer. Three days after the mass murder, the Delaware Democrat says his administration would address anti-transgender violence and end the crisis of violence against transgender Americans. For an inversion of reality that's hard to top, on the other hand, it is revealing. Joe Biden is now possessed by the trans ideology. The militant types serve as a Biden jugund a fake oppressed minority at war with reality and perpetually enraged. So this is important for understanding what is the transgender movement, the ideology behind it, and what happens if you oppose it. You may end up on the wrong end of a a gun, and that gun may belong to some killer like this who is not, like I said before, became psychotic. Actually, they're not psychotic. They're just evil. This person is evil. This person planned for months and then, and then killed children because of, of probably, we'll, n- we'll never know because they'll never release the manifesto, but because of what it says in this article here, 
It says, The trans types with their reason fast asleep are possessed with the idea that thinking something makes it so. That fails to square with science, reason, and the Judeo-Christian concept of God creating people male and female. People, people of this time on our belief are held to be, quote, attacking the trans types. So that's why you have to be careful. You have to watch what you say. You have to, not only for being banished from polite society, but you have to be careful because these psychotic people may then decide to try to kill you. And then what do you do when, you, when that happens? When a psychotic person, not even psychotic, when an evil person like this does kill somebody because they have beliefs that do not square with the beliefs of the, of the killer, then it's all washed away. It's all under the rug because the trans ideology is part of the left movement. And the left movement is in charge of the government. And the government says, we're not going to punish ourselves. We're not going to call out ourselves. So we're not going to release this manifesto. We're going to keep it hidden. We're not going to, we're going to pretend like it never happened. We're going to, we're going to say it had nothing to do with a hate crime. We're going to say it had nothing to do with these poor children were killed because this person has a psychotic or has a, has a homicidal, uh, homicidal, uh, vengeance against people who don't agree with it, her, she, whatever they, and the, because of that, uh, they, they killed those poor children and those adults, but we can't allow that to become out in the, uh, we can't allow that to be out in the public because that does not fit with the narrative of transgenderism, transgender ideology, just being good, wholesome fun. In the meantime, these people, these, these, uh, children are, are, they're just, they're part of, they're, they're part of the, uh, they're part, they're eggs in the omelet that has to be made in order to make diversity and trends and everything else that the left celebrates uh, happy. Uh, you, in order to make the left happy, you have to, you have, in order to be a, a an omelet that the left likes, a happy leftist omelet, you have to break eggs. And breaking eggs means uh, you have to discriminate against people based on their color through, through a affirmative action. You have to uh, force people to do things against their will, like get, get, uh, MRNA injections. You have to, um, you have to, uh, bend over backwards and say that this transgender ideology that is targeting Christians doesn't exist. You have to do, you just have to pretend all these things aren't true. You have to pretend like sending money to Ukraine and in, in, endlessly is a good thing. And it's going to, going to save us all. So this is all the part of this, American devolution from a free society where you're able to have an electric government that represents your ideals to this basically totalitarian type uh, um, a government with some with some historical values that are free, but and overall in practice there you're not really free because we're going to do whatever the hell we want to do, and if there's something that goes outside of what we believe in, we're going to suppress it. So this is what we this is what we've devolved into. This is some other, this is another example of it. It says here, this is from the Gateway Pundit. Journalist Green Glenn, sorry, journalist Glenn Greenwald is trying to expose manifesto of Nashville shooter claims he's being blocked. It says, in recent years, it's become clear that even though Glenn Greenwald is a liberal journalist, he cares more about the truth than politics. He has been trying to obtain the manifesto of Nashville shooter blank, but he is getting stonewalled. Greenwald couldn't Sorry, Greenwald even hired, tried to hire two law firms to help him obtain the manifesto, only to be informed later that they couldn't help him. It says, this is from uh, PJ Media, uh, referenced in this article from Gateway Pundit. It says, pertinent information seems to be in the manifesto written by the woman who committed the crimes, and that manifesto has been declared off-limits, so it appeared that no one is getting access to it. This includes journalist Glenn Greenwald, who has been enlisted who has even enlisted the aid of lawyers to get the manifesto from the Nashville Police Department. But the firms have decided to back out of the effort. It says, in his show on Rumble, Greenwald pointed out that had this been an incident involving a far-right extremist, the manifesto would have been made public. Absolutely, that day, on the front page of the New York Times. We would have had that, and then uh, shortly thereafter, we would have had congressional hearings on it, and shortly thereafter that, we would have probably had gun confiscation. It would have been front page news everywhere, everywhere one looked. And Greenwald also noted that understanding of the shooter's motivation is important for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which is to prevent it from to prevent people from exploiting it, like Joe Biden. 
In the interest of full disclosure, Greenwald might consider this column to be an example of such exploitation, but Greenwald also makes the point that the shooter probably does not fit the narrative that the media and various entities want uh, that find that various entities find so tasty. Yeah. And this is what he tweeted out. Uh, Greenwald wrote this is on April 17th. We've spoken with two major law firms in Nashville who said they'd re- they'd send retainer letters to represent us suing that suing Hoover's boys and the Nashville PD to obtain the manifesto of the Nashville shooter only to back out at the last second. The political pressures are intense. We should see it. You know, we're seeing this time, we're seeing this time now where people who are identify as liberal are even being, I guess their eyes open to the fact that the government, which is largely run by leftists who have liberals in their camp, I guess you call it, leftists can claim liberals as their own. Even liberals like Glenn Greenwald are seeing that the government is actually it doesn't care about individual rights. It doesn't care about liberty and, and all these things that uh, classical liberals or people who call themselves uh, liberals um, like RFK Jr. For instance, we we'll to talk about a little bit later, how those people see things, you know, thing you know, individuals should be respected and we should have tolerance for everybody. They're, they're coming to understand that the, the government really is not like that. The government is more of a, a, a fascist state government has a, has an agenda that wants you to believe. And if you don't fit into that agenda, then you're going to be, uh, you're going to be shut out of it. And so Greenwald is seeing what happens when you try to take on Hoover's boys, you know, these two uh, Nashville, these two Nashville uh, attorney's offices were pressured potentially to stop their, uh, their effort to uh, help Greenwald get these manifesto. That's not what you want. I mean, we don't know why they stopped and they'll never tell us, but we can assume we can assume that they were pressured politically. Now, of course, no one's ever going to say that. I mean, short of a Twitter files type revelation or a whistleblower, you're never going to see that testified against, at least in the short term. But this is part of the American devolution. We have. When the Roman Republic was around, this was, I've been listening to Hillsdale College and I finished the Roman Republic uh, video series. I didn't take the quiz yet, but if you take the quiz, it actually helps you understand the, the video series more. But anyway, video series I highly recommend on Hillsdale College online courses. Um, you, can, you can learn about the, the Roman Republic and the Roman Republic was a quote unquote democratic republic. But democratic republics aren't that great. Actually, as we found out, because democratic republics mean majority rules. And if the majority decides that they want to be uh, against your personal liberties, then guess what? You that's just that's what happens. So if the majority, for instance, uh, elects leaders and those leaders say, "Okay, now. One of the popular things to do in the in the days of the republic was once you took over. Uh, you you did what's called a proscription. And so a proscription was a public announcement or a public condemning of certain citizens, and they made a list. And here's what happens in a proscription. This is from from Britannica, and it says here, um, it says, a proscription, a posted notice listing Roman citizens who had been declared outlaws and whose goods were confiscated, Rewards were offered to anyone killing or betraying the prescribed, and severe penalties were inflicted on anyone harboring them. Their properties were confiscated, and their sons and grandsons were forever barred from public office and from the Senate. This process was first used by the dictator Sulla in 82 or 81 BC to avenge massacres by Gaius uh, Gaius Marius and his son. Some 520 wealthy opponents of Sulla were prescribed, and their property given to Sulla's relatives. Julius Caesar in in 49... um, emphasized his own clemency after the victory in in the Roman Civil Wars by avoiding proscriptions and restoring the sons and grandsons of those prescribed by Sulla to full citizens' rights. But however, after that, his successor Octavian used proscriptions again, and one of the people they famously killed was Cicero. But anyway, the point is, is that the Roman Republic was a republic, and it was democratic, and it was was an improvement over what was... um, before that, which was basically a monarchy, which was a form of totalitarianism because there was some input from civilians, but prescriptions, I'm sorry, the Roman Roman Republic wasn't without its errors. 
And that's why when the American Revolution happened and the Americans uh, decided they were going to start um, doing a constitution, they, they, they looked at the Roman Republic and they saw there was these shortcomings there. And as illustrated by the prescriptions, there were not, um, there were not efforts made to allow people to have their individual liberties preserved necessarily. And you could have your property taken, your life taken. If you fell out with outside of the, uh, if you fell outside of what the, the government in charge currently liked, and you're seeing this a lot now, I mean, it's not to the point of where people are being killed, but think about, think about what's happened with, um, Donald Trump, love him or don't love him, like him or don't like him, vote for him or not vote for him. You cannot argue with the fact that Donald Trump has been proscribed and he was proscribed before he even won office. Donald Trump was proscribed when it looked like he was going to win. And that's when that's when the uh, uh, Obama regime started investigating his campaign with a crossfire hurricane. And it's gone on and on and on since then. Uh, an impeachment followed by a phony impeachment, which was unconstitutional impeachment because it wasn't even presided over by the chief justice followed by all of these investigations. This is a prescription. This is a modern day prescription of a, of a, of a political leader now civilian. And this is what happened in the Roman times. And this is why we're kind of going backwards. Um, you know, the, the, the natural order of things had been in the Roman era is they went from autocracy, which is a monarchy to a Republican uh, form of government. And then they devolved back into a monarchy. I'm sorry, not a a monarchy, but a a, a more authoritarian or totalitarian form of government with the emperor. So they went from autocracy with a monarchy, autocracy with a monarchy to a Republic elected Republic albeit one without uh, a lot of uh, individual rights preserved necessarily to one of another uh, autocracy with the emperor, with the Roman empire. So we're seeing a part where we've got from, we've gone from a monarchy when we were the British colonies to a Republic or American revolution constitution. And now we're devolving again. So we're going back. We're going backwards. And so the uh, the thing that happened with the Roman Republic is you had these powers that were being concentrated in fewer and fewer individuals, and there was being there was less attention paid to uh, some of the rights that citizens should have. And after um, Julius Caesar was assassinated. Octavian, who was his adopted heir, they had a civil war. But after Octavian was able to beat Mark Antony and uh, Lepidus, that were the second triumvirate, after that happened, he, then he consolidated power. So you're seeing that here. There's a consolidation of power, and it's not amongst a person, but it's amongst a party. And that party is the Democrat Party. And the Democrat Party in this country is a party of the left. That's not to say everyone in the Democrat Party is a leftist. I'm not, so I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the left, quote unquote, or the left slash progressive movement, this movement that is antithetical to the Constitution, that views the Constitution with scorn, although they won't come out and say that publicly, at least elected officials won't. Now, members of the left who are academics, um, commentators, whatever, they will say that. And, it, and that's how you find out who, what they really believe is people who are amongst the left, who are in like academics, who are the, in the think tanks and things like that, they will come out and say, look, or even some of the elected poli- elected leaders who are down the further on the food chain, but not at the national level, they'll come out and say, look, the constitution is a waste. The constitution was written by rich slave owners who were white, who are European, who are cisgender. And those people don't, those people don't apply today. So we're going to cancel them. And that's what's behind a lot of this cancellation movement is you're canceling the past. You're, you're getting rid of the past. You're, 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 you're going to paper over all of those people because, like I said, they're cisgender. They're white. They're heterosexual. They are, uh, they're, they're Christian. Um, they're slave owners. So all those people don't count. And whatever they did doesn't count. So what we've done is we've moved away from the Constitution and the eyes of the left as being a legitimate thing. 
So once you've done that, then you've become unmoored because the Constitution was put in place specifically to limit the government. And it was put in place to give powers to the government in a very limited fashion. It was put in place mostly to say, this is what the government can and can't do, the federal government. This is the rights of the government. It's like a box. It was saying, look, this box is powerful. This box is the box that we want our federal government to act in because the previous uh, form of government, the um, Confederation of States, was was ineffective. It was a weak. It was basically like a. It was basically like a student interest group that never met. They had no authority. They had no. They, they didn't. They didn't have. They couldn't protect the states from foreign invasion. They couldn't do the things that a, a national government needed to do. So then they made a constitutional government, I'm sorry, with the second constitutional Congress, they made a Republican form of government, which is the current government that we have on paper. But like I said, the left slash progressive movement is moving away from that. They want to move away from that because it limits them and they hate limits. There's nothing more than a totalitarian hates than being told they can't do, can't do something, but they will use the constitution as a, argument for their case when it when it's a when it's um when it's uh, a good when it's good for them when it when it fits their narrative so for instance if the supreme court in 1972 in a ruling that may or may not have a lot of um uh, legal power said look there's a right in the constitution to abort to abortion you have unfettered access to killing uh killing a fetus there's no rules against it. All, all things go. Then they'll, they'll latch onto that. But if there's something to do with something else that they don't like, for instance, say like, you know, in order for there to be a, um, you know, the Second Amendment, there, there needs to be, in order for there to be a reg, well-regulated militia, the, the rights of the people to bear arms do not be infringed. They say, well, that doesn't exist. Or they'll twist it and say, well, re- well-regulated means that the government oversees it. Regulation is what we're talking about. And well-regulated in that sense doesn't mean that. Well-regulated means basically people who are ready to go. Well-regulated means people who are armed. That's what that means. It doesn't mean well-regulated that the government is there watching over them and uh, only the government saying, look, you're part of the militia. You're not part of the militia. The militia was everybody. And well-regulated meant that people were ready to go at a moment's notice because they needed to be. You know, and so anyway, back to this point is that the left is we're progressing back to the point of where the Constitution is going away. And that was one of the things that limited the Roman Republic is they had a constitution, but it was an oral constitution. They had a constitution, but it wasn't written. That's what that's what I didn't know before this uh, Hillsdale course is the constitution they had was an idea, basically, but it wasn't written down. So there was no fast and hard rules. So one group of politicians can come in and make new declarations that made the old declarations no longer uh, in effect. And that's how you had these uh, changing of events. So there was nothing in there that says, look, you have the right to due process. There may have been a, a uh, someone who came along at one point and said, look, you have the right to due process. But then someone may come along later and say, well, you don't have the right to due process because you're being proscribed. So the, the, what we're moving, what we're moving towards is this, regression back to totalitarianism and you're seeing that when you see hoover's boys not allowing manifestos to be sent out you're seeing that all across the board i mean it's it's hard to even fathom because it's so widespread but that's why the progressive movement really has been going on for 100 years and this has all been percolating up and honestly people who were who were not progressives have been asleep at the wheel because they think that elections are what determine who's in charge they think that elections determine that if Congress is under a Democrat or Republican rule, that's what's in charge. But that's not what's in, that's not who's in charge. Who's in charge is the ones behind the scenes who are pushing culture. Who's in charge of the ones behind the scenes who are educating children. Who's in charge of the ones behind the scenes who are affecting government outside of the Constitution and getting away with it. So they're passing laws and things that are extra constitutional. They're allowing for instance, the fourth branch of government, which is the administrative state, to write most of the laws, which is not constitutional. The Congress is supposed to write the laws. But Congress has said, look, we're going to let the administrative state write the laws because the laws, uh, we don't we don't want them to uh, come back on us. So if something goes bad, we'll say, hey, it wasn't us. 
that was a social security administration or that was HHS or that was a, um, a Homeland security that did that. That wasn't us because you'll see in a lot of these laws, what they say is the secretary, the secretary shall, this is famous thing in Obamacare. You know, they said the secretary shall determine the secretary shall do this. So in Obamacare, you have the secretary who at the time was Kath- Kathleen Sebelius able to just write these laws, even though she was not elected by anybody, she was appointed. But because of our current form of government is the Congress abdicates its authority to write laws to this fourth branch of government and be an administrative state, uh, you know, all these executive branches or executive agencies, and they write all the laws. So we're being ruled extra extra constitutionally in large part by this fourth branch of government that's not elected. But those are the people who are really winning, not the people who are winning elections. You know, just because George W. Bush won in 2000, a lot of Republicans thought, well, we're moving in the right direction. Or because Donald Trump won in 2016, we're moving in the right direction. We're constantly moving in the wrong direction because we're constantly moving towards less Republican form of government and more unconstitutional form of government, more extra constitutional form of government. And we're not doing anything to really set that. We're, we're not doing really anything to go against that. But most citizens don't know that. Most citizens... And as, and, as, and it's because of life, you know, and that's and I think that's what they do. A lot of things, a lot of what the job of media to do is, is to uh, make people unaware by filling their mind with endless drivel. You know, think of whatever is on network TV. Think of whatever is being pushed by popular entertainers. Think of that's that's the that's the mindlessness. That's to help fill this void that this uh, this French philosopher was talking about how, you know, they have this empty mind. And if the empty, if the mind's not completely empty, at least you got to fill it with garbage, so that people don't have the ability to think. It says, as they are empty, it says uh, there's nothing more dangerous than a general idea in a narrow and empty mind. So, think of you have an empty mind, and then you just and whatever is in their space, you fill it with garbage until you can put what you want in there. So you have this thing where you have these, uh, you have people who are just not thinking. And then you have people who are uh, behind the scenes just making all these maneuvers and calculations and moving us more and more each each day towards a, uh, a state that is not recognizable to, for instance, the founding fathers. But there's there is a cure for that, and it's education. But you have to you have to engage. And that's the other thing of this Constitution video. I'm watching another one video on the Hillsdale. Hillsdale College about the Constitution. And it's saying there that the Constitution was made for, I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said that, or maybe it was Thomas Jefferson. It said the the Constitution is made for a moral people. And uh, it's made for people who have, the Constitution is not for everybody. You You have to be engaged to have a Constitution like we have, a Constitution that values freedom, a Constitution that puts freedom first and foremost. There's a responsibility to doing that. You have to be able to, and be engaged. You have to be able to understand what's going on. You can't just live life aimlessly like a jellyfish floating through and expect the Constitution to work for you because there are people out there who will take advantage of things like people on the left are doing right now and manipulating the Constitution to do things it's not supposed to do or ignoring it entirely. So the Constitution, you have to be an engaged person. You have to be a thoughtful person. And that's why some of this uh, adventurism didn't work under George W. Bush. You know, this... Uh, uh, neoconservatism where they said, well, look, we're going to go to Iraq. We're going to overthrow the government in Iraq. We're going to overthrow the government in Afghanistan, and we're going to install these uh, democracies, and people are going to love it because democracies are for everybody. And it is true that they, as they said in the Constitution, the natural inclination of the of the individual is to be free, but it is not the natural inclination of everyone to want to think about it that hard. So some cultures they don't do well with freedom because the people there have not had a culture or customs that are allowing them to think freely about things. Our American revolution was different. The people there wanted freedom, at least a large majority or not necessarily a large majority, but a large minority of it. They said during the revolution, there was about roughly a third of the people who were for revolution, a third of the people who were for continuing under the colonial rule of the, of the, of the UK. And then there were a third who just were like, yeah, who cares? But anyway, you have to have a sizable proportion of people who want freedom. 
I don't know that there's a, a big movement for freedom in, a, in, the, in Iraq or in, in Afghanistan when we went in there. But we went in there thinking, well, everyone deserves to have Jeffersonian democracy, but not everyone, not every culture or every uh, uh, community is equipped to have Jeffersonian democracy because you have to you have to be engaged, like I said. And we're getting to the point now where we're not engaged. We're not engaged. I mean, I mean, good Lord. I mean, something so simple as I was watching a video the other day. Children nowadays can't even read an analog clock, believe it or not. They're, they're going to video and they're asking these kids who are in maybe junior high school, at least at least upper elementary school, and they're junior high school maybe, and they're asking them to read a clock and they can't even tell time. This is what we're, this is the generation we're doing. I mean, this is what we're doing with our generation, educating them to the point where they can't even read a clock. We're willfully not teaching them to write even cursive because apparently that's not necessary anymore. So we're just... We're just, I don't know how we can continue to expect to live in constitutional, under a constitutional uh, democracy, a republic, representative republic, if, if we're not even able to, you know, read a clock. That's how bad, that's how bad we've gotten with our educational system. Back to more of the government. This is the government. This is uh, from the blaze. Former F. Former CIA uh, head Mike Morrell testified that the Biden campaign prompted letter from 51 Intel chiefs calling Hunter Biden laptop Russian disinformation. This is according to the New York Post. It says, A former CIA deputy director from the Obama administration admitted in congressional testimony that the Biden presidential campaign prompted the creation of a letter signed by 51 intelligence chiefs that claimed that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation. The bombshell was made by New York Post writer Miranda Devine, who says sources from the House Judiciary Committee confirmed the development. It says here, the letter was also signed by dozens of intelligence physicians who agreed that the information garnered from a laptop left by the president's son at a repair shop had, quote, all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. And so this intel chief here this is from New York Post. This is the actual document from or article from Miranda Vine says uh, in private sworn testimony, Morrell told House Judiciary Committee that Anthony Bink, Anthony Blinken, now Secretary of State, was a senior campaign official who reached out to him, quote, on or before October 17, 2020. This is before the election, three days after the pub, Post published an email from the laptop suggesting Hunter had introduced his Ukrainian business partner to his father, then Vice President Biden. Morrell, identified as a potential CIA director under Biden, said he organized the letter to, quote, help Vice President Biden because I wanted him to win the election. It said, until Blinken's call, Morrell told House investigators that he had no intention of writing any statement exonerating Biden, but he agreed that the conversation with Blinken, quote, triggered that intent in him. So it says, so this is, this is how, this is how you come to lose a Republic is you have these ex uh, intelligence agency officials, 50 of them who were inclined to support Biden politically. So they used their heft as former intelligence officials to sign on to this letter urged by the Secretary of State, current Secretary of State, but then campaign official Anthony Anthony Blinken to basically say that the Hunter Biden laptop story was bullshit. And it says that the uh, it says the letter was used by candidate Joe Biden during the October twenty second debate against Donald Trump successfully to deflect accusation accusations about his involvement in his family's international influence peddling operation, which had garnered millions of dollars from China and Ukraine while he was vice president. It was also used to try to discredit the Post reporting, which had embarrassed candidate Biden by contradicting his claims during the campaign that he had never spoken to his son about overseas business dealings. But this is what happens. This 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 has happened, right? This is a guy, Mike Morrell, who's given congressional testimony to House Judiciary Committee about this. And yet, what do we have? Nothing. There is no impeachment. There's no talk of impeachment. There's no even coverage of it, really, besides the New York Post. And uh, what, what else did I say? It was Breitbart, the, uh, the Blaze. 
But this is not going to get any. This is not going to get any traction in the mainstream media, quote unquote. CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, MSNBC, all those outlets. They're not going to cover this at all because they are part of this leftist movement. This leftist movement that has said, we don't want a constitutional republic. We want some people to be outside the lines of normal or outside the boundaries of what's legal. We want some people to operate in the shadows because we agree with them politically. And because so, we're going to do things to help them basically do things that we wouldn't help the other other side do. You know, Hunter Biden is not going to testify in front of Congress for 30 hours or whatever it was that they made Don Jr. do. You know, they're not going to have records of uh, who visits Joe Biden at his home in Delaware, where he spends at least 40% of his time as president. They're not going to do things like have um, have uh, prosecutions of Joe Biden for classified documents like they're going to do for, uh, for Donald Trump. So this is the thing. You have these two separate, uh, not two, well, you, ha- you have different treatments for different people. And that's no way for a constitutional republic to, to be run. That is no way for a constitutional republic to uh, be successful. And if enough people knew this stuff was going on, they would be pissed off and they would demand change. And they would say, no, we need to live more according to the Constitution. But that's why it's important that you don't cover it. Because if you're part of the media, if you're part of the left, you don't want to cover this thing because you don't want to blow the cover. Because that's your team. And that's why you'll never hear about this. But that's why we're having trouble now. That's why we're moving so far from our moorings of a constitutional republic. Because we don't have engagement. We don't have people who are thinking. And we have organizations that are corrupt organizations in the government that are corrupt organizations in the media that are corrupt and we have politicians who are corrupt and we have corporations who are corrupt so we have all these people who are are against freedom who are, are against transparency and it happens to be that they're working on the same side and the side is the side of the state we don't have to say it's republican or democrat it's the establishment it's the state the state the state which exists for its own benefit, the state which wants more and more power, the state who uh, has its um, who has its members in the media, who has its members in the political class, who has its members in corporations like Twitter, where they had Hoover's boys uh, in Twitter, and they have Hoover's boys all over big tech. That's another story in and of itself. Oh, there's a whole bunch of other stuff here but i want to go over this this is something about this is something that's interesting uh, here. this is from this is about guns let's hear from john lott or some of the information here is from john lott but this actual articles from uh robert stacy mccain and american spectator and this is about guns it says why do democrats think they can quote win the crime issue it says crime is a cri- crime is a people problem. If you understand nothing else about crime, you must understand this: crime is committed by people. It is not committed by inanimate objects. And while data on criminal activity can be charted as a trend over time, trends don't commit crimes. People do. There is a word for people who commit crimes. We call these people criminals. And if anyone is interested in investigating trends, one trend is fairly consistent: most criminal, violent criminals are repeat offenders, and will not stop this behavioral pattern until they are locked up. It says here. Uh, keep all these minds in fact until the next. I'm sorry. Keep all these minds and facts in fact. In, keep all these facts in mind the next time you hear Democrats or the news media. But I repeat myself, discussing quote gun violence as an issue. Democrats do not want to discuss crime as a people problem, but rather as a gun problem because a most gun owners are Republicans and b most criminals are Democrats. Or that is to say, the crime problem is in America is largely concentrated in urban areas where Democrats get the majority of the vote. It says, research by John R. Lott Jr. highlights just how geographically concentrated the murder problem is in the United States. Okay, this is murder. So John Lott's this researcher who's done a lot of work on guns. He's, he's the one that has the book called More Guns, Less Crime. I believe it's a book. Of more than 3,000 counties in the country, 52% had zero murders in 2020. 
While the 31 counties with the highest murder rates, the worst 1%, had 42% of the nation's murders. I'll read that again. Of the more than 3,000 counties in the country, 52% had zero murders. While the 31 of the 3,000 counties with the highest murder rates, which is the worst 1%, had 42% of the nation's murders. Expand the focus to the worst 2%, this makes 62 counties out of 3,000, and these accounted for more than half, 56% of the murders in 2020. Locke concluded, murder isn't a nationwide problem. It's a problem in a small set of urban areas. It says this, this is about guns. But what about quote-unquote gun violence? What about the inflammatory rhetoric of Democrats demonizing the National National Rifle Association as somehow to blame for the America's crime problem? That's what they always say. Oh, the NRA is to blame. It's the gun culture. Okay, listen to this. Among other things, Lott took into account rates of firearm ownership and found an inverse relationship between the prevalence of murder and rates of gun ownership. According to 2021 Pew Research Center survey, the household gun ownership rate in rural areas was 79% higher than urban areas. Suburban households are 37.9% more likely to own guns than urban households. Despite lower gun ownership, urban areas experience much higher murder rates. Okay, here's the last part I'm going to cover. So much for the correlation between gun ownership and crime. What do we know about the correlation between politics and crime? Listen to this. The five U.S. cities with the highest per capita murder rates are St. Louis, 69.4 per 100,000, Baltimore, 51.1 per 100,000, New Orleans, 40.6, Detroit, 39.7, and Cleveland, 33.7. In the 2020 presidential election, Biden got 82% of the vote in St. Louis, which had 69% or 69 uh, murders out of 100,000, the highest murder per capita rate. So Joe Biden got 82% of that vote. 87% of the vote in Baltimore, they had 51 murders out of 100,000. He got 83% in New Orleans. New Orleans had 40.6 murders per 100,000. 94% in Detroit. He had, they had 39.9, uh, 39.7 murders per 100,000, and 80% in Cleveland, which had 33.7 murders per 100,000. In other words, the most dangerous cities in America are all Democrat Party strongholds. These facts are not difficult to discover if anyone is willing to do a few Google searches, but you'd probably have no idea about any of this if your source for news was ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, PBS, New York Times, Washington Post, or Associated Press. The so-called mainstream media seem to operate as a cartel, doing everything in their power to prevent the public from learning the truth about crime in America. And then you can say, repeat that line for anything that I was just talking about. You can you can say anything, learning the truth about education in America, being how education is fraudulent and most uh, according uh, most of the educations that people receive are fraudulent in the government schools. You could repeat that about. You could repeat that about the transgender transgender ideology uh, that says that Christians are to blame for um, whatever their woes are, and then they're allowed to be killed because of that. You can say that about the mainstream media-operated cartel doing everything to power to prevent the public from learning the truth about election fraud. You can do the same thing. It says the media cartel, uh, mainstream media seem to operate as a cartel, doing everything in their power to prevent the public from learning about picket. Oh, racism. Racism. You, you you can you can do that for everything, and that's like I was going saying before: is this is the major problem that we have is that our institutions, one of them being the media, which has a First Amendment right but also responsibility to report, doesn't do so. Those those groups: ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, PBS, New York Times, Washington Post, Associated Press, all or all all organs of the left. That's all they are. They're mouthpieces for the left. They don't report. They narrate. This is uh, Victor Davis Hanson. What can we do anything about America's decline? This is a really good article. It's a very long article, but it kind of illustrates the problem that we're seeing, and what the response is from 
the people who are doing the who are doing the uh, destruction. So let me just read this part of this. 21st century America was on a trajectory of gradual decline until it began to implode. Our largest cities are becoming uninhabitable, dilapidated, dangerous, and dysfunctional. The challenge is not just rampant crime, but the realization that you, the citizen, that if you, the citizen, are stabbed, shot, or beaten up on the street, the perpetrators may well be exempt from most punishments, and the victim will either be forgotten in his misery or indeed blamed for bringing up such violence upon himself. It says urban schools are not places of instruction anymore. That fact is accepted by teachers unions whose operative principle seems to be that the more hopeless the idea of educating urban youth is understood to be, the less burdensome the workload and the greater their hazardous duty pay. Urban chain stores are closing down on the principle that if police cannot or will not stop consumer violence and theft, then consumers should uh, not have to, um, then consumers there should not have to buy anything anyway. If there is no store, how can it be looted or shoplifted? Oh, should not have any store to buy anything anyway. Okay. It says the only mystery remains is how these, these how long these Democrat controlled, racially charged and corrupt municipalities can sustain their budgets and pension commitments with increasingly declining revenue. One can tax the well off and perhaps even gouge them as California does, but one can insult and ridicule them in the process. One cannot, but one cannot insult and ridicule them in the process. Being highly taxed is being highly taxed is one thing. Being highly taxed while being hated is quite another. How eerie that medievalism, defecating, urinating, fornicating, injecting in the street, is relabeled as homelessness, as if the problem is merely the shortage of apartments or tent cities. Somehow, cities developed the notion that it was crueler. To, it was crueler to be told not to pull one's pants down and defecate in the street than it was for a pedestrian to step into infectious human excrement. It says, in the next five years, either cities will seek new governance to reduce taxes, break up municipal unions, mandate charter schools, restore police funding and manpower, recalibrate pensions and prosecute criminals and corrupt officials, or Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Minnesota, and a score of others will become Detroit. One of the strangest phenomena among our current debility are the millions of affluent leftists and liberals who have fled their unworkable, now unlivable, blue-run but naturally beautiful cities like San Francisco or Portland. They seem to lack an abstract recognition why they are leaving, or why and how their chosen destinations are so different and therefore so inviting to them. In their motto, I am fleeing what I created, but I still hate what I created, but I still hate those who created what I want. <laughs> That's exactly right. So these people who are moving, they're moving from these cities that they live in because the, the, the cities are unlivable. And yet they, they go to these cities that are so nice and they say, well, this is great here. But the people who created that great city, they hate. I don't know if this is happening in Florida or not. It seems like most of the people that I meet and because we meet people that are coming here for freedom in our practice, we meet a lot of people who come here for freedom. They kind of say it in a way that's uh, I don't want to say they're trying to uh, be undercover about it, but they say it kind of, they don't announce it. Let's say it this way. They say, well, I came here from Massachusetts or I came here from New York or I came here from California. And you say, well, what brought you here? Well, I got it here for work and, you know, I like it better here. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's more freedom. You know, they're, it's not like New York. It's not where I came from. And you get the idea that they don't want to come out and say it, but they're, but the reason they're leaving is because the places they come from are leftist hellholes, and they're coming here for freedom. And luckily, like I said, the people that I meet are the same mindset of freedom and loving individuals who have created a nice place in Florida for the most part. And so they don't come here like this Victor Davis Hanson uh person says i am fleeing what i created but i still hate those who created what i want um they're not saying that they're saying i'm fleeing what i i'm there i'm not fleeing what i created i'm fleeing what somebody else created and i'm coming here because you created what i want because you're of a like mindset of me you love freedom but this is an interesting thing because these people who are moving from new york and all these different places los angeles san francisco seattle not all of them are going to be freedom loving. So you get the idea that they will try to come here and set up their own, um, 
they they're going to come try to set their up set up their own little you know leftist utopia like they came from which was ruined and it's just it is interesting that they they don't understand they don't really see the connection you know i see people all the time though that don't see the connection you see them and they say oh you know government's doing bad things you know the government doesn't know what they're doing. And at the same time, then they go around and they, um, they embrace the government. Perfect example is teachers unions. Teachers unions are paid by the government. And so the government is in, is, uh, the ones who, the government are the ones who make their life the way it is. But teachers unions are all always run, uh, I'm sorry. Teachers unions are always in leagues with the Democrats. So the Democrats run the governments where these teachers unions are. The Democrats make their living or their working situation intolerable so that they have a union to complain about. But yet the union just elects Democrats over and over again. You know, it's the same thing with crime in these cities. I don't understand how people can live in a city that lets murderers go, but they elect that person again, you know, like the DA in New York, who's, brought this charge, this misdemeanor charge against Donald Trump up to a felony or 32 felonies, whatever it is. So he takes that misdemeanor and puts it up to a felony. And then he takes felonies and drops them down to misdemeanors. And then they have this crazy no bail situation where people can commit crime. They go back out on the streets the same day. And yet people see that clearly they, they probably don't like being stabbed or murdered or their belongings taken but then they vote for it so it just it just doesn't make any sense to me it says here's back from the article from uh can we do anything about america's decline from victor davis hansen and american greatness it says the remedies are agreed upon but the needed medicine is feared more than the disease our elected leaders know that we that we must but never attempt to cut spending reduce the size of federal government radically, simplify the tax code and reduce taxes, deregulate, recalibrate Medicare and Social Security, develop our mineral gas and oil resources, and require labor participation for able-bodied entitlement recipients. Never have Americans spent more on K-12 and higher education, and never have they received less in return. The education industry is woke and non-meritocratic. Meritocratic. Research is diverted, sidetracked, and polluted by ideological commissars, endangering the U.S. lead in science, math, engineering, and professions. Even scientists have become deductive, starting out with preconceived woke conclusion that they feel will win, that they feel will win influence, grants, and notoriety, and then and then scrambling to warp evidence to fit it. So yeah, so it's true. What they do is, is scientists start out with this endpoint, and then they go and they try to they know that that endpoint is what the government wants. So, for instance, climate change. The scientists will start out with something about climate change and say that uh, we can use uh, windmills and batteries to replace oil and gas in the future. And they're going to make a study for that. And so then they go to the government and they know the government likes that because the government's leftist and the government's moving that way because that's where the money is currently, apparently. And that's where you can control the most people is control them through energy because energy is necessary for everything. And then they try to, then they get the grants and they go and find the evidence and they try to warp it to fit it. And it says back to the article, the solutions are straightforward. Tax university endowment income and lots of superfluous and harmful programs will vanish. Stop federal loan guarantees and soaring tuition and food and room and board costs will decline to an annual rate of inflation. Once universities must guarantee their own student loans, it goes on and on. But these are, he's right. The, 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 uh, the remedies, are known, but the people are not going to do it because they'll just say, these are what needs to be done, but it's not politically feasible, especially on entitlement reform. But back to this thing about these, um, uh, scientists, this is something that I saw. I went to, uh, the bookstore with my daughter and they had this book on the shelf. I just want to show it to you. This is for all of you listening. This is what the book shows. This book is called, Climate change for babies. And it's a little, one of these books that you know, it's got the really thick cover and the really thick pages because it's made for children to be able to turn and they don't have dexterity to turn paper pages. 
So it's only about eight pages long or nine pages long, but it's about an inch thick or an inch and a half thick. Anyway, it has this climate change for babies. <clears throat> and then it has earth with a pacifier in its mouth. So this is who it's, this is who it's geared towards. And they, they go into this book and they say, uh, you know, this is the earth. This is, and it starts off kind of nice talking about nature. And then it starts off with the bad stuff and saying that, you know, basically industrial revolution derived things like electricity and cars and things like that in factories are causing the earth to be damaged. And if we don't do something about it, we're going to burn up. Who's going to teach their t- toddler that for babies, not even toddlers. They say babies. What kind of psychopath does this? Uh, and here's a, here's a page from it. It says here, this is toward the end. I have a picture of a bus and then all these cars. And it says the, the cars are, they're showing these cars. And I said, look, if we take all these cars and we make people get on the bus, it says fewer cars and factories mean less greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And it says, then the next page says we can replace coal and oil with solar and wind power. That's not true. You can't do that. We've talked about that. There's no way you can replace any of the current energy situations we have with solar and wind power. You can replace coal and oil with nuclear power, but you can't replace it with solar and wind power. It's impossible. We've talked about this. There's not enough battery space. There's not enough There's not enough land. And on top of all of that, the limitations on resources is one thing. The other thing is, is it's environmentally destructive to do that. It's talking about the environment. But this is a book for children. This is a book for children. Climate change for babies. And it's scaring. It's want you to, you know, they talk about anxiety of children is high. You know, they say that children now are worried that the, the earth is going to end. Why do you think that is? Because people write books like this. Fewer cars and factories mean uh, less greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. You know, also fewer cars and factories mean? It means less movement. That means uh, less freedom. Fewer factories means less stuff. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, if you talk to the real true believers, the true believers in environmentalism say that the earth is best off with zero humans, including themselves. A real true, talking about trans ideology, a real true environmentalist ideologist will say that the best situation is for everybody on earth to die. And if you're Bill Gates, the best situation is not for everybody on earth to die, but a lot of people to die because we have too many people on earth. And I'm not going to be one of those people. You know, he's talked about this. He says that they've all talked about this. They have this fascination with too many people. It's, it's really, it's really bizarre. Anyway, that's it for today. Uh, thanks for joining us. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast. If, you wanna, if you're one of those people that's from a different part of the country and you're looking for more freedom, came to the right place in Florida. If you're looking for more freedom and liberty in your health care, you also came to the right place at Concierge Medicine at Echelon Health in Tampa. Come in and see us. Uh, have a good weekend. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.